With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in to another episode of Sports Court, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening, however and wherever you may be listening. iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Chromecast, anywhere that you're listening to my voice right now, more than likely we are available for you there on that platform. Here we are, start of a brand new work week for the majority of us on a Monday. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us here on Sports Court for another brand new episode. Hopefully you're having a great start to your Monday and hopefully you're looking forward to the week ahead just as much as I am. Without any further ado, let's just dive right into today's episode. Don't want to take up too much of your time. With that being said, we have breaking news from New Orleans. The New Orleans Saints and Derek Carr are finalizing a four-year deal for him to become the next quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. This is according to several sources that are close to the situation involving Derek Carr and the Saints. With this news breaking, I think that there is only one question that the majority of NFL fans will be asking themselves. What can Derek Carr bring to the New Orleans Saints? For one, I think, and a lot of people would differ about this opinion that I'm about to say, but I'm going to be able to back this up with some logic. One of the things that Derek Carr brings to the New Orleans Saints is stability at the quarterback position. The New Orleans Saints, for the past three, four seasons now have been unable to find stability when it comes to finding the true replacement for Drew Brees. Try Jameis Winston, tried Andy Dalton, Teddy Bridgewater, all those different avenues did not work. So by bringing in Derek Carr, you now, if you're Mickey Loomis and Gail Benson, the owner, you now think that you found yourself the next quarterback heir apparent to replace and fill the shoes that were left by Drew Brees down in New Orleans. Also, there's familiarity. This is something that we talked about a few weeks ago when we started talking about quarterbacks entering the free agency cycle. I talked about how Derek Carr and Dennis Allen are familiar with each other because of Derek Carr's time in Oakland when the Raiders were still in Oakland. When he was drafted there in 2014, Dennis Allen was the head coach of the team at that point. So there's some familiarity there. And when you think about the way that the NFC South is, let's think about it. When we take a look at the four teams that make up the NFC South, you have the Saints, 
who I think a lot of us feel the only thing that they needed to address was the quarterback. I think that that was their biggest issue. Now, there are still other holes that they can look at as well, but the quarterback position was one of those key positions that they needed to focus solely on if they wanted to be able to have any playoff hopes for the 2023 season, which is upcoming. When you look at Carolina, there are still a lot of questions that have to be answered up in Charlotte. Where are they going at the quarterback position now that it seems that Derek Carr is off the market? Do you try to take a swipe at Aaron Rodgers? Do you try to take a swipe at Lamar Jackson if he and the Ravens can't work out a long-term deal? There's still a lot to be worked out up there in Baltimore. When you take a look at Tampa Bay, now I don't have to reiterate how I feel about Tampa Bay. If you listen to the 100th episode of Sports Court that we did, you fully understand how I feel about Tampa Bay at this particular time. A lot of questions are going to have to be answered as far as their offense as a whole, especially with who is going to take over at their quarterback position. When you think about Kyle Trask coming out of Florida, we're also going to talk about another Florida quarterback coming up here in a few minutes. Can Kyle Trask, especially with the two seasons that he had in his back pocket of learning from Tom Brady, can he step in in week one and be able to lead the Buccaneers where they want to go? And finally, when you think about the Atlanta Falcons, it's pretty it's pretty clear at this point that Arthur Blank, the owner, wants to run with Desmond Ritter. He even came out a few weeks ago and said that he's excited to see what Desmond Ritter can do for that offense. So he's bought into the notion that Desmond Ritter, according to the games that he saw from him when he stepped in in place of Marcus Mariota, he thinks that that small sample size is proof that Desmond Ritter can eventually lead the Falcons into the future. So I say all that to say this, this may be the prime opportunity for the New Orleans Saints to make a playoff push because the NFC South, one thing we know for certain, someone is going to have to come out of that division and get a playoff spot. And I feel that the Saints with a capable veteran quarterback in Derek Carr will be able to, if not make the playoffs, but they can also, in my estimation, make a pretty serious run once they get there. Now, there's also some downside, or if there wasn't, we wouldn't be talking about this story. And the downside when it comes to Derek Carr is that some people have taken the nine seasons in which he was a Raider, and they say to themselves, see, there's a reason why I don't trust Derek Carr. It's because he's had too many seasons in the NFL to show us if he's capable of being a long-term franchise quarterback. And I think, when I think about Derek Carr, I think about a quarterback that has had everything at his disposal. These past few seasons in Las Vegas, he's had a capable offense. Now the coaching, we can differ on that. But Derek Carr has had numerous opportunities to show the rest of the NFL why he's capable of being a starter long term. I think by him joining the New Orleans Saints, I think that this will be the kind of career refresher that he would need. Because I felt similarly to how we talked about the Kyrie Irving situation, the Raiders situation involving Derek Carr and themselves, I think that it was time for both sides to explore what a fresh start could do for them collectively. And this is, in an essence, why I think Derek Carr going to the Saints could work not only for himself, but work for the team as well. So we'll see what happens now that Derek Carr is about to become a member of the New Orleans Saints. And we'll see, can he take the New Orleans Saints into the postseason and can they go on a deep run under his leadership? Hopefully that familiarity with head coach Dennis Allen can help spring along something rather quickly. Pete Carmichael is still going to be down there as the offensive coordinator. Once again, we can differ on whether or not he should still remain the OC, but 
according to the news coming out of New Orleans, Pete Carmichael will remain the offensive coordinator. So once again, Derek Carr will be a member of the New Orleans Saints as their new quarterback that will take over the reins from Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. So that news once again from New Orleans. Okay. Outside of that, let's get into our next story that comes from the world of sports. And this is a story that we talked about in our final verdict on Friday, and it involved John Morant. So after we finished that episode on Friday, there was some news that came out about John Morant in a club shirtless brandishing a weapon. And the Memphis Grizzlies decided to suspend virtually John Morant for two games. And now, according to their head coach, Taylor Jenkins, there is no indefinite timeline for when John Morant will be able to return to the team. And John put out a statement after the incident and pretty much said that he's going to take time away from the team and try to deal with how he deals with his own emotions and how he copes with stress and all of those things. Um, Allow me for the next few minutes to kind of rant here. I didn't write this down because I didn't want. One thing about me, I didn't write this down because I know that as I continue to talk about this, different thoughts are going to come into my mind. So that's the reason why I didn't write this down. Um, Social media. Can be your biggest supporter. And at the same time, social media can be your biggest detractors. On the one hand, a lot of people that we know post every aspect of their life on social media. While some of us remain recluse, a lot of us choose not to partake in social media for our various reasons. John Morant going on Instagram live in a club, brandishing a weapon. Not only does that show a lack of maturity, but it also goes to show that John Morant doesn't, or at that time didn't understand the severity of what that may have meant, not only to his career, but to his teammates, coaches, and to the entire Memphis Grizzlies organization. There's a lot of weight and there's a lot of expectations that comes with being the face of your franchise, which I think a lot of us can attest to the fact that John Morant is the face of the Memphis Grizzlies. We talked about this on Friday. John Moran has a multi-million dollar deal from the Memphis Grizzlies, has a shoe deal with Nike, and even is now the new NBA face of the Powerade campaign, which is something that I had to figure out this morning when I saw the commercial. There is something to be said about the youth in today's society. And today's youth, myself being one, There's often times where we feel that we're invincible, where we feel that nothing can touch us, where we feel that we can go out and make as many mistakes as we like and that we can just bounce right back to where we were before we made the mistake. And I've said this and I even said it on Friday's episode. I said that there are a lot of 23 year old young men that would love to be in John Morant's position, multimillionaire, all the endorsements that he could think of pretty much as a celebrity in his own right in the Memphis area and around the NBA community. And some of his decision-making would have you think that John Morant either doesn't enjoy being 
who he happens to be, or he's trying to revert to something that we know that he wasn't before he got to the NBA. One of the hardest things that I think John Moran is going to have to come to terms with during his period of being away from the team is that he's going to have to come to a decision about the people that are in his life. Because I've always said this and I've always tried to adhere to this in my own life as well. The people that you have around you should be people that are uplifting and want to see the best from you. And vice versa, you should want to see the best from them and the best from yourself as a whole. The thing is, is that John Morant feels as though or felt as though that just because he's young, just because he has all of these millions of dollars, he felt not only that he was invincible, but he felt that he could do anything without having to suffer the repercussions of his actions. And the thing about the NBA, the thing about the NFL, Major League Baseball, all of these professional sports leagues is that not only do you have to go out here and show to your teammates and to your fellow peers throughout your sport that you're capable of handling the pressure, but you also have to realize that there are a lot of young people that tries to emulate you on a daily basis. When young kids go and play basketball at the school on the playground, you know, a lot of those young kids tell the other kids that they're about to play against. I want to be John Morant, right? I want to be LeBron James. I want to be Anthony Davis. I want to be Giannis. I want to be Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic. The list goes on and on and on. I want to be Trey Young. And so often. I think athletes forget that a lot of young people hold them in high regard as role models. And that's the thing with Ja. I truly hope that he uses this time away from the team to fully understand that before all of those guys that you hang around with came into your life, you had to understand that you still have a daughter that you have to take care of. And I'm pretty sure John Morant, just like every other father in this world, that actually cares about their children, wants to see the best from their kids. But before you want to see the best from your kids in the future, you have to want to see the best from you now in the present. Now, I'm pretty sure you've heard this all weekend long. John Moran's young. He's going to make mistakes. Which rightfully is the case. Because who has gone through this life? You and I. Who has gone through this life and made no mistakes on their journey. One of the things that we learn from mistakes. Is how to grow from them and be better. So that we don't repeat the same mistake time and time again. And John Morant during this period being away from the Memphis Grizzlies. He's going to have to face one of the harshest decisions. That he's ever going to have to face in his life. And that decision being is that he's going to have to separate himself. From some of the people that came up in this journey with him. Now that's a hard pill to swallow for some of you listening to my voice because you're going to say to yourself, well, why should John Moran had to cut off people that supported him ever since he was probably doing AAU basketball. Then from middle school to high school to college to now. I've always said this to people that I interact with in my day to day life. In your friend group, If you're the only one trying to do something with yourself, it's time for new friends. And John Morant 
I'm not saying that it's time for him to have new friends, but it's time for him to start having friends who understands the importance of maturity. Because, yeah, in a nutshell. It's comfortable for us. To never want to get rid of people. That we grew up around. It's comfortable for us to say, you know what? They came up with me. So I want to keep them around for as long as I can. That's comfortable for us. But what is one thing that you have to do in order to be successful in this life? You have to get away from what makes you comfortable and you have to start reaching for things that make you uncomfortable. And John Moran is going to have to put people around him in his life going forward that are going to be unafraid to tell him the things that makes him uncomfortable as a person. If you have people in your life who are afraid to tell you things that will make you uncomfortable, then it's time to show them the door. Hangers on. Yes, men, as they're called, you're going to have to show them the door. Because you'll never get anywhere in life as long as they're telling you everything that you want to hear. Sometimes we need that person in our lives that will tell us things that we don't want to hear. But in the end, we appreciate them telling us those things. Because it's going to help us become a better person down the road. Now, what will the NBA do to John Moran as far as the suspension? That remains to be seen. That's up to Adam Silver and whoever's going to help him decide John Moran's fate as far as the suspension. But I will say this is that there have been too many examples of guys that have come before him that have done some of the same things he's doing now. That he should sit down and talk to. There are guys that have played in the NBA that have done some of the things that John Morant has done. That would be willing to sit him down and say, you know what? You're going about this the wrong way. All the money in the world is at your feet. Practically. The endorsement deals. And plus, you have a young daughter. And yet you're willing to throw it all away for this. Sometimes it's easy for us to sit here and say. And I saw this this weekend, so I'm not making this up. It's easy for some of us to sit here and say John Moran should be kicked out the NBA. John Moran should never be the face of the NBA. I don't feel that John Moran should be kicked out of the NBA. And I don't feel that John Morant doing this tarnishes him for being the face of the NBA. But what I feel is, is that in this world, in this life, we should all have an opportunity to get second chances. And we should get an opportunity to grow and learn from our mistakes. Because every one of us wants people to understand that we've changed. Every one of us wants people to still gravitate towards us after we've made a mistake. John Moran is too big to the NBA brand for them to turn their back on him now. And I feel that when this time is up, when he does decide to return back to the Grizzlies and whatever punishment the NBA decides to dish is out, he'll take it, continue to grow as a man, and hopefully he'll come back better than ever. But that involves him understanding who's in his corner that really wants to see him grow. And that's also going to have to take more of an effort from his father. Now, I never want to sit up 
and try to throw out any criticism to someone's father. Myself being a guy who, for the majority of my life, I've never had my father in my life. The last thing I want to do is criticize someone's father who's trying to be in their son's life. But I also say that T. T. Morant, Josh's father, has to do a better job of being more of a father figure instead of a fan. Because one thing's for certain is that T. Morant is enjoying his son's success more than he is, arguably. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but all of the hard work that T. Morant and John Morant put in middle school, high school, college has now paid off since Jaws made it to the league. And rightfully so, his father should be in a celebratory spirit because all of that sacrifice has now led to this. John Morant being one of the best basketball players in the NBA today. But also, he has to understand that he needs to be in his son's corner, giving him the life advice that he needs so that he doesn't make mistakes now and in the future. So all I have to say is, is that I appreciate John Morant for stepping up to the plate and admitting that he's going to make the strides to change because that's where it starts. What's the one thing that when you're an addict, what's the one thing that you can do to start putting yourself in a position to overcoming your addiction addiction? First, you have to admit that you have a problem. And John Morant in that statement that was published over the weekend, virtually admitted to saying, you know what? This is a problem and I'm going to try my hardest to fix it. That's step one. Step two is you're going to have to remove some people from your life that are negative influences. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And number three is left up solely to him. What can he do to truly fix whatever's going on in his life to where he can come out of this situation a better person? I'm wishing all the best for John Morant. I'm not going to be one of these people that's going to sit up here and scold him because yet here I am. We're nearly the same age. So wishing all the best for John Morant and people that I've went to high school with, you know, 
the majority of them went down opposite paths in their lives and not throwing any stones or anything, but I've saw this firsthand, except the majority of people that I went to high school with didn't become an NBA basketball player, but to each is his own, right? So really hoping for the best for John Morant coming out of this situation. And once again, thank you for allowing me to ramble on that. Just a lot of thoughts that I wanted to get out to you about that situation. And I'm pretty sure I missed some of them, but we have an episode Wednesday. So I'll, if I have any thoughts that I didn't get out to you today, I'll bring those up on Wednesday. Okay. So shifting gears from John Morant to the NFL, the combine, the quarterbacks worked out on Saturday and the one name that was buzzing around Indianapolis and the one name that is buzzing around the league today is that of former Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. So a little bit of a backstory for those of you that may be unfamiliar with Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson is a, well, when he was in college, his classification was a sophomore. He comes from Gainesville, Florida. So right there, born and raised. So it was probably predestined for him to be a quarterback at the Florida program. 6'4", 244. And he's declared for the NFL draft. And I want to talk a little bit about the buzz that has surrounded Anthony Richardson this weekend. And that's going to continue until draft night. A lot of people that I've heard talk about this situation. Some would say that Anthony Richardson raised his draft stock while others would say that Anthony Richardson is still a project quarterback that whenever he's drafted and wherever he's drafted to, the team is going to have to do a lot of work to get him into playing the position of quarterback the correct way. Um, Anthony Richardson, while he may have won the combine, if you watched Anthony Richardson play at Florida in 2022, a lot of these problems that some of these analysts are talking about today were on full display when he was at Gainesville. And trust me, I watched a lot of Anthony Richardson at Florida. So I think I'm pretty well versed to talk about this. There was one game in that 2022 season for Florida that I said to myself, Anthony Richardson could be a great quarterback on Sundays. And that was the game against Tennessee. Here was his stat line from that game. He was 24-44 for 453 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He also had 17 rushing attempts for 62 yards and two touchdowns. Florida lost the game 38-33. That was arguably Anthony Richardson's best collegiate start as a college quarterback. And it was in a losing effort. Now let's think about Anthony Richardson's body of work. Anthony Richardson in his collegiate career only started in 13 games. He spent the majority of his time in Gainesville backing up Emory Jones. And when Emory Jones decided to transfer to Arizona, I think it was Arizona, Arizona State, that's when Emory Emory Jones, he transferred out, and that's when Anthony Richardson was tabbed to start for the Gators. Now, there's also something else that has to be addressed. Because so many people wants to take his 2022 season and say, See, that's the reason why he can't be a legit NFL quarterback on Sundays. Let's talk about the ramifications of Anthony Richardson's tenure down in Gainesville. When he first stepped on campus, 
head coach was Dan Mullen. We know Dan Mullen famously for his spread offensive attack. Dan Mullen is shown the door following the 2020 season or 2020, 2021 season. And promptly, yeah, it was the 2021 season when they couldn't muster up the same success that they had in 2020 when they made the SEC championship against Alabama. So Dan Mullen is fired after the 2021 season and promptly replaced with Louisiana head coach Billy Napier. Billy Napier, once again, was an offensive-minded head coach down at for the Raging Cajuns, comes to Gainesville as the Florida head coach, and with him, he brings in a new offensive philosophy. So I'll say this. If Dan Mullen was never fired from Florida and Anthony Richardson could have thrived in Dan Mullen's spread attack, and if his completion percentage was better than 53.8%, will we be having this conversation about him being a project quarterback as some analysts have promptly labeled him to be? I don't believe that that would be the case. I believe that we would look at Anthony Richardson as one of the top tier quarterbacks in the draft class. Now, me personally, we even talked about this on Sports Court a few weeks ago in which I said that I felt Anthony Richardson should have remained in school for at least one more year. And if he could have learned and continued to grow in year two under Billy Napier, and if Florida could have rounded the corner in 2023 and won more games than they did in 2022 because they were a 6-6 six and six school in 2022 and lost their bowl game in ways that I don't even want to talk about. Most of their starters didn't play to begin with, so that was one thing that they had going against them in that bowl game. If he would have stayed on campus in year two of Billy Napier's system, had a better season then compared to last season, a lot of people would have said going into the 2024 draft that he's the second best quarterback in the draft class behind Caleb Williams. Presumably, Caleb Williams will be going to the draft in 2024. And when you think about all of the records that he set at the combine, he set new quarterback records when it comes to the vertical jump, the broad jump, and his 40-yard dash was the third fastest QB time for the 40-yard dash right behind Tim Tebow and Cam Newton. So here's the question. Can Anthony Richardson be a legit NFL starting quarterback? I think that he can be. Now, whichever team he lands for or at, they're going to have to do a lot of work in getting him to be a more well-rounded and completed quarterback. Because I'll tell you, 53.8% will not fly in the NFL. Now, that's not me trying to say that he will be a bad quarterback, but what I'm saying is, is that he needs to improve his accuracy once he makes it to the next level. And if he goes to the right situation with the right coaching staff, I believe that that can change tenfold. Now, I saw this and it was interesting. Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, he said that he spoke with two teams who are not in the market for a quarterback and they have Anthony Richardson as the second quarterback on their draft board. So what that means in turn is that Anthony Richardson is either behind Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. And we're going to talk about Bryce Young in a second. I understand where you're going with this. If you're the two teams 
that decided that Anthony Richardson should be behind either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. I understand where you're going. But this draft class, when it pertains to the quarterbacks, this is one of the most weirdest quarterback draft classes I think we've seen in a very long time. Why do I say that? I say that because each one of these quarterbacks, and we talked about this a few weeks ago on Sports Court as well, each one of these quarterbacks has a question or two surrounding their ability to make it to the next level. We talked about Bryce Young as far as his size and height. That's his biggest limitation, I feel. We talked about C.J. Stroud and his inability or lack thereof to run the football and make plays with his feet outside the pocket. Anthony Richardson, there is not enough on tape or there's not enough good tape of Anthony Richardson during his tenure at Florida for a lot of teams to buy into him being the franchise quarterback on Sunday afternoons in the league. And then Will Levis, honestly, how many of you took the time to watch Will Levis at Kentucky? Now, although he played in the SEC, Will Levis was an afterthought, if you really want to be honest. Will Levis was an afterthought when it came to Bryce Young, Stetson Bennett, Jane Daniels, Texas A&M quarterback situation got all the attention for all the wrong reasons. And when you think about K.J. Jefferson up in Arkansas, when you think about the quarterback situation that took place with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and when you think about whatever that was at Auburn, all of that got more attention than what Will Levis was doing at Kentucky. And then when you go down the list of other quarterbacks that are in this draft, the only reason why a lot of people haven't focused their attention on Hendon Hooker, who came from Tennessee, was because of the injury that he suffered in the game against South Carolina. If Hendon Hooker did not get injured in that game, not only do I believe his Heisman stock would have been a little bit better, but I feel that he would have been able to go to the combine and represent himself in a way that he would be getting the same buzz coming out of the combine that Anthony Richardson is getting for himself as he also comes out of the same combine. And when you think about Tanner Mordecai, when you think about Dorian Thompson Robinson out of UCLA, those guys, it wasn't that they had bad combines, but because Anthony Richardson's combine was so great, the attention was taken away from the Tanner Mordecai's, the Dorian Thompson Robinson, Stetson Bennett, Max Duggan. The attention for them was focused on Anthony Richardson because there were so many questions that a lot of scouts and a lot of fans had of Richardson that it allowed for other guys who were trying to use the combine as their way to improve their draft stock. They didn't get an opportunity to do so because all the attention went to Anthony Richardson. So each one of these quarterbacks, to bring it back home to the original point, each one of these quarterbacks has some kind of question about what can they do once they make it to the league on Sundays. And I think that this is going to be an issue until draft night, if you really want to be honest. Because one thing's for certain, this never used to be the case a few years ago, but I think that this is starting to become more the case now. These guys that come out of college as quarterbacks more likely than not, they will have to always land in the right situation for them to fully thrive at the quarterback position. I think we can all agree on that. If you don't land in the right situation as a quarterback, more likely than not, you will fail. Now, what is Anthony Richardson's ceiling? Anthony Richardson's ceiling 
He could either be a bigger, more bulkier Lamar Jackson, or he could fall down the same path as Jamarcus Russell. Remember when Jamarcus Russell came out of LSU and everyone thought that he was a slam dunk potential franchise quarterback, and then he goes to the Raiders and becomes one of the biggest busts that we've seen in sports history. So Anthony Richardson has the potential to be a bigger, more bulkier Lamar Jackson, or he's going to have the same careers as one Jamarcus Russell. Now, you would hope that the latter plays out, not the former. You would hope that Anthony Richardson goes into the NFL and can have the same kind of career as Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick. But at the same time, you don't want him to land on a bad team and he's asked to step in right away and he's not ready for the opportunity. And next thing you know, you have people saying, see, this is the reason why he should have stayed in school an extra year. Or this is the reason why this team shouldn't have taken an opportunity and wasted a draft pick on a project quarterback that you have to develop into becoming the guy that you won't play in the position. So all of those different dominoes are in effect when you think about the career of one Anthony Richardson. Hopefully he comes into the league, goes to the right situation, and the team is able to continue his development into being a more traditional quarterback. But his combine, if you haven't watched those highlights, I strongly suggest that you do so because he did some pretty impressive things up there in Indianapolis. All right, sticking with quarterbacks, let's switch from Anthony Richardson to Bryce Young, who did not work out at the combine. He will hold off until later on this month when he does his workouts at Alabama's Pro Day. Now, he was measured, and that's the reason why we're talking about this. According to his official measurements at the Combine, Bryce Young came in at 5 feet 10 inches, one-eighth of an inch, and his weight came in at 204 pounds. Now, this was a little bit different than his time at Alabama when he came in at 6 foot 194 pounds. So for anyone doing the math at home, when it comes to his weight, he was 10 pounds lighter at Alabama and he was a few inches shorter at the combine than he was during his time at Tuscaloosa. So here's some other guys that have come into the NFL that have not been the tallest guys as far as height is concerned. Kyler Murray was 5'10", 1 8th. He was 207 pounds. Johnny Manziel, six foot, two hundred and ten pounds. Michael Vick was six foot, two hundred and ten pounds. Drew Brees was six foot, two hundred and thirteen pounds, and Russell Wilson, right up there in that conversation as well. Doug Flutie has also been mentioned. So, I have a question for you, ladies and gentlemen, on this very nice looking Monday here in Mississippi. Hopefully, it's nice wherever you are. Here's the question: When we think about Bryce Young. Is it Bryce Young's size and height that's the problem? Or is it Kyler Murray's tenure in the NFL so far that's the problem? I want you to sit on that question for a minute and just think about it. I'll ask it again. Is it Bryce Young's height and size that's the problem? Or is it Kyler Murray's tenure in the NFL so far that's the problem? Now, why do I say that? I've been thinking about this question all weekend and I said to myself, I can't wait till Monday so I can bring this to 
my listeners. So let's think about it. When we hear Bryce Young and we hear about his measurements, we instantly think about Kyler Murray because if you haven't seen by now, there's a picture going around on the internet of Kyler Murray and Bryce Young standing next to each other during a appearance in a Heisman house commercial. And it seemed like Kyler Murray was a little bit taller than Bryce Young. Although when you look at their heights side by side, they're supposedly the same height, right? So it's kind of interesting that if they're both five ten and one eighth of an inch, why Kyler Murray seems to be taller. But Every time I hear someone talk about Bryce Young, the first comparison that I hear is Kyler Murray. Now, we know that Kyler Murray isn't the tallest quarterback in the league, not by a mile. But we also know that Kyler Murray was able to do great things at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley in that offense. And there was also some games in which he played at Texas A&M when He wasn't in the starting capacity yet, but he did some great things down in College Station during his short but sweet tenure down there in College Station. All right. Once again, we need to have this conversation. And this is a conversation that we're going to have leading all the way up to the draft. Every one of these quarterbacks are going to have to go to a situation that suits them perfectly. When it comes to Bryce Young, that situation is going to have to be perfect times 10. Because the difference between Bryce Young as compared to C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Stetson Bennett, Max Duggan, Tanner Mordecai, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, all of those guys are at least over six foot tall. Whereas Bryce Young is going to have a very hard time in this league When you think about it from his height perspective. Now, let's just think about the obvious teams that have an opportunity to go and get Bryce Young. Let's think about the Houston Texans. Both of their quarterbacks this past season struggled and both of those guys were over six feet tall. When you think about Davis Mills and you think about Kyle Allen, both of those guys are over six feet tall. And yet they struggled behind that Houston Texans offensive line. And then when you think about the skill position players that you have to go alongside Bryce Young, if he's drafted in Houston, the only great piece that you have so far is your running back. Whose name for some very odd reason is escaping me right now. Then you have Brandon Cooks, presumably if he decides to stay in Houston. Now, there's been a lot of talk about him being unhappy with his role in Houston And to be honest with you, can you blame him? Because that has not really worked out like a lot of Houston Texans fans hope that it would. And John Mechie should be coming back this season after spending 2022 dealing with, I think it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, if I'm remembering correctly. So he's going to have some weapons. And he's also going to have a new head coach in D'Amico Ryans, who's more of a defensive-minded head coach. So, What have I always said, for those of you that have been listening to me for a while, what have I always said about teams that hire defensive-minded head coaches? If you're in the process of going out trying to find a quarterback, you're going to have to make sure that the hire of the offensive coordinator is your best hire. You really want that to be your first hire. Because if you get the head coach position solidified, 
and it's a defensive-minded head coach, once again, in this case, D'Amico Ryans for Houston, he's going to have to make sure that the offensive coordinator position is the first role that he fills. Now, let's think about this as well, because I talked about this a few weeks ago, too. I talked about Nick Casario, and I talked about how this draft and how this upcoming season could potentially be a make-or-break season for him. Because we have seen Nick Casario, he has massively underperformed during his role as Texans GM. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And we've also talked about how the Texans are still picking up the pieces of Bill O'Brien's ineptitude during his time as head coach slash general manager. Some of the ridiculous trades that he made during his time down in Houston, those ramifications are still being felt throughout the organization. So you hope that if the Texans are the team that lands Bryce Young, that he would be able to come in and be able to take that team somewhere that they've not been in a very long time, and that's to the playoffs. Now let's talk about some real let's talk about some realistic expectational goals for Bryce Young in year one. Any team that Bryce Young goes to, what would be some realistic goals? Bryce Young and that team wins what? Six, seven, eight games, that's an improvement. Bryce Young goes in there and throws for anywhere from twenty five hundred to thirty five hundred yards, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three touchdowns, and 11 or 12 interceptions that to me and he completes around 59 60 percent of his passes that for me would be a successful rookie campaign for Bryce Young especially if he goes to the Houston Texans considering what they have on the offensive side of the ball now let's think about the Colts now I believe that if there is any team that should strike a deal and get that first overall pick from the Chicago Bears, it should be the Indianapolis Colts. Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay should be on the phone right now with Ryan Poos discussing some kind of deal to get that number one pick. Because out of all the teams that have a shot to go out and get Bryce Young, I think that the Colts would be his best bet right now. Because unlike the Texans, at least the Colts have some kind of foundation on the offensive side of the ball. Because one thing that we know for certain, the musical chairs approach in which the Colts went in last season when it came to the quarterback position, one week, Matt Ryan, the next week, Sam Ellinger, the next week, they go back to Matt Ryan, for the next two weeks, they go to Sam Ellinger. There was too much revolving door madness in Indianapolis when it came to the quarterback position. By bringing in Bryce Young, I think that that musical chairs approach would no longer be needed. 
Because I think that they have, between them and the Texans, I think that they have the better offensive line. Now, this isn't the same offensive line a few years ago that was protecting Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz that some of us thought was the best offensive line in the NFL. He's not getting that prime Dallas Cowboys offensive line with Zach Martin, Travis Frederick, Tyron Smith, and those guys. He's not getting that kind of offensive line. But I think that by joining the Indianapolis Colts, it gives him a better opportunity to not only have a great rookie season, but have a great career. So to bring it all back to the original point, can Bryce Young succeed in the NFL in his small stature? I think that he can. But there are too many factors that are going to be playing against him instead of in his favor. Number one, once again, the team in which he goes to, because that team has to be darn near perfect in order for him to have a successful year one. And secondly, is the thing that we've talked about the majority of the time when we talk about Bryce Young on this podcast. And that is Bryce Young has to understand the history of what it means to be an Alabama quarterback trying to go on to the next level. Right now, there are three quarterbacks in the NFL that are starting that has come from Alabama during Nick Saban's tenure as head coach. Jalen Hurts just took the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Mac Jones in New England, there's still some questions about whether or not he's their long-term answer. And Tua, arguably out of all three of those guys, Tua is the one that I think is universally known that people have doubts about whether or not he can be there long term. History has not been kind in the NFL when an Alabama quarterback decides to declare for the draft. The last Alabama quarterback to have some kind of success over a long period of time in this league was Kenny Stabler back in the 70s. Won a Super Bowl. And before him was Joe Namath. Since then, Alabama has not truly produced a quarterback that has lasted more than five years in this league. Now, can one of those four guys break that mantle? Can Bryce Young, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, Tua, can one of those guys break that curse? I think that one of them can. And if I had to put money on somebody, I think it would have to be Jalen Hurts. Because Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie have put him in a position to where he can have continued success throughout the duration of his career. Whereas New England is going to have to do some things a little bit differently as far as opening up their pocketbook and trying to go out and get those weapons to make Mac Jones look better than he actually is. And Tua, the only thing that Miami has to do when it comes to Tua is things that Tua can control, i.e. his health. Because Tua has all of the weapons in Miami for Miami to be a perennial threat in the AFC. But it all hinges on whether or not can Tua stay healthy for a long period of time. And then when you throw Bryce Young into that fire, wherever he goes, the team is going to have to be darn near perfect. And I read something and it kind of hit home a little bit. And that's the reason why I decided to bring this up. Alabama quarterbacks have been historically unable to live up to the pressure that's heaped on them once they enter the draft. Because once again, we talk about this a lot. Remember a few years ago how everyone was talking about Tank for Tua? Which team was going to win the Tank for Tua sweepstakes? The Dolphins win the sweepstakes, and then you had people within the organization saying that they think that they made the wrong decision. They should have went out and drafted Justin Herbert from Oregon at the time. Now, 
while I think all of us wants to see how this is going to work out. For those of us that have already had preconceived notions about whether or not Bryce Young can succeed in the NFL, there's no change in their minds. Hopefully Bryce Young can step in and have a great career. But only time will tell, especially if he goes to a team that's still in the midst of their rebuild and that's not going to be all that great in year one and possibly year two and three and four. Bryce Young is going to have to go to a situation that's nearly perfect if he truly wants to succeed in this NFL thing. All right. Some thoughts about that. About the combine. I tell you, if you miss the combine, you miss a lot of great things. A lot of great players showed up at that combine and broke records, set new ones, and even improved their draft stock, which the combine is all about in a sense, improving your draft stock. Anthony Richardson did it, and I don't think that Bryce Young, in a sense, I don't think that Bryce Young quieted any concerns that people have already had about his height and his size. He even said that He's only going to try to control the things that he can control, which is easier said than done, because this is going to be a question and a concern that's going to dog him for the entirety of his career. Believe it or not, the majority of people who are NFL fans will never let this issue rest. Especially with what has transpired out in Arizona with Kyler Murray. If Kyler Murray came into the NFL and if he had success right off the bat, I don't believe that this will be an issue now that Bryce Young is up for his turn to go to the NFL. But because of Kyler Murray's up and down career so far out in Arizona, I think that that's the reason why a lot of people have reservations as far as Kyler Murray coming into this league. So April, we need to see what happens and where Bryce Young lands to play his NFL career at. So, all right, let's stick with Alabama, but let's go back to the collegiate level. So we all know by now that Texas and Oklahoma will be joining the SEC starting in the 2024 campaign. And with two new teams entering the SEC, that means the SEC would have to change their scheduling format. So the SEC has decided to adopt a 3-6-6 format. Here's what that means. You have three permanent opponents that you will play every single year. You will have six opponents that you will play that year as well. And the other six teams in the SEC, you will play them the following season. So basically what that means is, is that every team in the SEC will see every other team at least in a two-year in a two-year span. And what that means is that there is no more Alabama has not played Georgia in the regular season since so-and-so. Now Alabama and Georgia will have to play each other every two years now. So that's going to add a little bit more flair to some of the biggest rivalries that we've gotten used to. So no other SEC coach has come out and spoken about this, and I think a lot of coaches are going to hold off until SEC media days, but there is one coach that has voiced his opposition to this schedule. And is none other than Nick Saban. And this is what he had to say about his three or his team's three primary opponents being LSU, Tennessee and Auburn. This is a quote that he gave a few days ago. And I quote, I've always been an advocate for playing more SEC games. But if you play more games, you have to get the three 
fixed opponents right. They're giving us Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU. I don't know how they came to that. Now, (laughs) I chuckle at that, and I wrote that down last night, and I'm just now laughing at it this morning. Here's the thing. We can say what we want to say about Nick Saban. Greatest college coach ever. Most accomplished college coach ever. We even did an episode about what would have happened if he stayed at LSU. By the way, thank you for listening to that series. It's slowly but surely turning into something that I'm enjoying doing our new episode that's coming out Sunday. I'm still unsure what episode that that would be about. I'm down to two options. What would have happened if the Edmonton Oilers didn't trade away Wayne Grisket to the Kings? And what would have happened if the tuck rule was called differently? Those are the two episodes that are in my mind right now. So hopefully by Wednesday or Friday at the latest, I will have an answer for what episode we will do on Sunday. But anyway, back to Nick Saban. So according to Ross Dellinger of CBS Sports, he pretty much gave a prediction for every team in the SEC, who their three primary opponents would be once Oklahoma and Texas join the SEC next season. And he predicts that Alabama's three primary opponents will be LSU, Tennessee, and Alabama. Is Nick Saban scared all of a sudden? Just let that sink in for a minute. A guy that has won seven national championships is now scared of a little competition. And I don't even think that it's just LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn that he's afraid of. I think Nick Saban looks around the landscape of the SEC and he says to himself, now we have OU and Texas joining. We already have a juggernaut in conference when it comes to Georgia. And now LSU and Tennessee are on the come up and Auburn will just be Auburn. Now, I'll say this. If there if there is any coach that should be furious about this three fixed opponents thing, it should be Auburn. Because when you think about Auburn, even right now, when the SEC has not shifted into this 3-6-6 format, Auburn has one of the hardest schedules in the country. Auburn every single year has to play Georgia and Alabama. And it's not always going to be like 2013 and 2017 when Auburn both times led by Gene, not Gene Chesnick. Gene Chesnick barely lasted after the championship. Anyway, in 2013 and 2017, when the team was led by Gus Malzahn, both of those seasons, Auburn defeated Georgia and Alabama. And in 2017, Auburn defeated Georgia and Alabama when both of them were at the time of the game were ranked number one in the country. Georgia walked into Jordan-Hare Stadium as number one. They left no longer being number one. Alabama came in there as the number one team in the country, and they left Jordan-Hare Stadium no longer the number one team in the country. And we all know that that vaulted Auburn into the SEC championship game that season as well. So I find it a little hypocritical that Nick Saban at one point was a very open advocate for more SEC games to be played, but yet now that he knows who his primary opponents will likely be, now he thinks that it's unfair. You have to understand that this is the new world that we're living in. This is the new reality that college football is going to. 
Oklahoma and Texas are going to be a part of the SEC. And what that means is that you have to get rid of those quote unquote cupcake type of games because you will no longer be able to fit two extra cupcake games into your schedule. You will no longer be able to get University of Texas, San Antonio, Sanford, and Akron into your schedule because two of those games will have to be replaced with Oklahoma and Texas. And just to think about the travel, Alabama would have to travel to Norman and Austin, and then vice versa, they would have to travel from Austin to Tuscaloosa and Norman to Tuscaloosa, respectively. So here's the thing. I've always said that the SEC has some of the toughest competition in America. And with having the toughest competition in America comes consequences and responsibilities. If you want your conference to be the gold standard of college football, then there are certain things that you're going to have to do to keep in line with that mission and goal. I've yet to hear Kirby Smart come out and say that he has a problem with this. But on the other hand, we've we've haven't heard from Kirby Smart in almost two months now. So. It's very crazy to believe that Nick Saban is afraid of playing LSU, Tennessee and Auburn. And I guess he looks at this and says to himself, two of those three teams beat us last season. We all remember what happened when Alabama went down to Tiger Stadium. And we all remember what happened when Alabama went up to Neyland Stadium. What happened? It's okay to admit. And I even said this a few weeks ago as well. I may have been ahead of a lot of stuff now that I realize it. But even I said a few weeks ago, and I think the majority of you can agree with this as well. It's not that Alabama has gotten bad. That's not what has happened at all. The thing is with Alabama is that the rest of the country has finally caught up to them by using NIL deals and the transfer portal. How do you think TCU went from being just a team in the Big 12 to making it to the national championship game? NIL and the transfer portal. Alabama is not a bad team. It's just that the rest of the college football world has been able to use different methods to catch up to where Alabama has been all of these years. Alabama, for the longest of time, has been able to benefit from cupcake schedules. And now that your schedule is getting just a little bit tougher, now Nick Saban feels that it is a competitive disadvantage. Now he comes out and makes statements saying that he doesn't understand how they came to that decision. They came to that decision using criteria from the last 10 years about your success rate. And that's how they were able to determine who your primary opponent should be in this 366 format. Now, you don't have to worry about Auburn unless Hugh Freeze is able to turn it around overnight over there in Auburn, Alabama. But what Josh Heupel is building in Knoxville and what Brian Kelly is building in Baton Rouge, I think that it should keep Nick Saban up at night. Because he realizes that with those teams on the come up in his own backyard in the SEC West and with what Kirby Smart is able and what Kirby Smart has been doing over in the SEC East with Georgia. I think Nick Saban feels the walls are closing in on him and his program slowly but surely. 
Because let's think about this past season, 2022, the mass exodus of Alabama players that decided to enter the transfer portal. And now it seems like it is pretty much a knife fight every single year for Alabama to even get into the playoff discussion, let alone make the championship game. So I'll say this and before we move on. Alabama, once again, is not a bad team. I don't want anybody to say that I'm saying that Alabama has lost a step. But what I'm saying is Alabama has allowed or they haven't allowed, but Alabama is now fully understanding that the rest of the college football world is catching up to them. That's all this is. NIL and the transfer portal has changed the way a lot of teams are able to build their rosters. Now, this is going to be pretty, pretty interesting when 2024 rolls around and Alabama is pretty much going to have to defend their character every week, especially in those tough games against LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn. And the thing is, I'll say one more thing before we move on. Nick Saban is upset about these games, but yet these have been rivalry games that have been on their schedule for the longest of time. When you think about LSU, the bye week that they get in October before this game takes place the first Saturday in November between them and the Tigers. Then when you think about Tennessee, the third Saturday in October, that has been a staple on Alabama's resume for the longest of time, on their schedule rather, for the longest of time. And then when you think about Auburn, the Iron Bowl. How many of us down south sits around the TV in November or goes to the stadium for the third Saturday in October and for the Iron Bowl? Those are two of the most marquee games that takes place in every college football season. Outside of the usual whiteout game in Penn State, the USC-UCLA game out there in California, Georgia-Florida that takes place in Jacksonville, Ohio State and Michigan, Clemson and Florida State, if you think that that's a rivalry, Clemson, South Carolina should be a better example that I could have used. So, no, I'm not giving Nick Saban a pass on these comments and I'm not giving Nick Saban a pass because he feels threatened that now the rest of the SEC is starting to close in on him. Welcome to the real world. Welcome to a world in which now it seems like it's going to be an even playing field. And it might not even truly be an even playing field because Georgia has snatched that away from Alabama. So I can't wait to see what happens in 2024. And hopefully you can either, because we're going to have a lot of different things going a lot of different directions, especially when we get to this 12 team playoff and when Oklahoma and Texas officially joins the SEC in 2024. Okay, trying to figure out what I want to talk about next. Let's go to the NBA. May as well. Um, Celtics lost to the Knicks last night in a two-overtime affair. Final score was 131-129. Why does it seem like, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, Why does it seem like every time Jason Tatum has a big night, the Celtics either win a game very, very close or they lose very, very close? I've always thought about that, but I just want to say very quickly that Emmanuel Quickly, last night, I watched this entire game, Emmanuel Quickly 
when given the right opportunity, he can show you what it's like to be a star. And Tom Thibodeau and the New York Knicks, slowly but surely and quietly, have been playing like a team on a mission. Last night was their ninth straight victory. And right now they are a game behind Cleveland for the fourth spot in the Eastern Conference. And if the playoffs were to start today, Cleveland and New York would be in a first-round playoff series against each other. Now, me personally, I believe that Cleveland would have the slight advantage because if you ask me, I like what Cleveland has done as far as roster-wise better than I like what the Knicks have done. And these past few years, historically, the Knicks have choked when you needed them the most. But last night was just one of those victories for the New York Knicks that they needed. And I think that it would be a big confidence boost that they were able to knock off one of the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. And that's going to give them a lot of confidence heading into this home run stretch of their season. All right, let's shift gears. Let's move from the East Coast to the West Coast. Once again, the Phoenix Suns continue to roll with Kevin Durant on the lineup. A lot of people are surprised that the Suns have taken off so quickly with Kevin Durant in the lineup. But I even said this on an episode last week. I said that you could you could put Kevin Durant anywhere. And he would be a difference maker just like that. You could ship Kevin Durant to the Magic and he and Paulo Banchero would be a a very great one-two punch. Potentially, I know I'm just speaking hypothetically, but hypothetically speaking, if you put Kevin Durant on the Magic with Paulo Banchero, I think that they would be a favorite to win the title. I'm, Kevin Durant has that much leeway, or for lack of a better term, Kevin Durant has that much street cred in the NBA to where he could go to a team like the Magic and they would instantly vault into finals favorites. I'm not surprised at Kevin Durant's success in Phoenix and I'm not surprised by the results of the team so far since Kevin Durant has returned to the lineup. That just shows you how big of a difference maker he happens to be. And now you don't have to rely on Devin Booker every single night to be the difference maker. Now that you have Kevin Durant on the lineup Devin Booker can have a night off. KD picks up the slack. KD could have a night off. Devin Booker picks up the slack. And plus, you're not relying so much on Chris Paul to do all of the dirty work. So they grinded out a win yesterday against the Dallas Mavericks. And another little side note, speaking of the Mavericks, Luka and Kyrie are working together just fine. Don't let the results fool you away from thinking that this isn't working. Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic are two of the most exciting offensive players to watch in the entire NBA. And when this thing really starts to click, especially as they continue to make their playoff push, you're going to see some of the best basketball from the Dallas Mavericks. I can assure you that Jason Kidd, I'm pretty sure he's happy to have both Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic on this team You may not get a lot of defense, but you're going to get a hell of a lot of scoring when you put those two on a court together, and I'm here for it. And the final game that I wanted to discuss, Golden State and Los Angeles, the Lakers. Game took place yesterday as well. Steph Curry comes back into the lineup after being out nearly a month, and all of a sudden, Golden State loses the game. 
Now, remember a few games ago, we were talking about how Golden State went on this winning streak, and it seemed like that they were finally finding their stride late in the season like they typically do before the playoffs get here. Something is truly worrying me about Golden State, and I'll just say it because no one else in sports media wants to say it, so I'll say it. Golden State's road record should scare a lot of people. Because on the one hand, Golden State is a very different team at home. But when they take their show on the road, it seems like they're out of sync. It seems like they can't score the basketball. They can't really play great defense. If these problems aren't fixed immediately by Steve Kerr and that coaching staff, I think we will see a situation in which Golden State may not even make it to the Western Conference Final. Now, one of the things that Steph Curry adds to the team is a better shooting presence. But that also becomes a liability as well. Because when Steph Curry is shooting as many threes as he shoots during a game and the majority of them aren't going in, then that's a problem. Now, I'll say this. When, when Steph was out, and this was Klay Thompson's show to run, I think the Warriors were a better team. Now, I know that that may sound hard for some of you to believe, but I truly believe that when you ask Klay Thompson to take over and fill the void as far as the leadership void is concerned, when Steph Curry is out, I think he does a great job with that. But when Steph Curry comes back into the rotation, takes that role back, and just starts jacking up threes, then I think you're in for a big problem. Now, we know that Steph Curry can get hot in a blink of an eye, but we also know that in that same blink as well, he can get very cold. So, if I'm Golden State, if I'm Steve Kerr or if I'm a fan of Golden State, I would be truly concerned about these road woes that continues to plague us, especially as we hit a stride in the weeks before Steph came back and now that he's back, we've gone back to our losing ways. That's something that... I'm pretty sure that Steve Kerr and that coaching staff are going to have to fix. And I think that that's something that they will fix and address before the playoffs get here. All right. Let's shift. Before we get into the final verdict on today, I want to quickly talk about a situation that's taking place in the National Hockey League. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning in their last 10 games, they have a record of 2-5-3, and and they've lost five straight. What has happened to the Tampa Bay Lightning? A lot, a lot of people will tell you that John Cooper, their head coach, caused the team to lose a little bit of momentum when he decided to sit out his stars, Victor Hetman, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos. And he did that in a game a few nights ago against, I think it was the Sabres, because he said that his stars just didn't give him an opportunity to win the game. And they eventually ended up losing that game to the Sabres 5-3. to three. And John Cooper said that by sitting his three stars, he sat them because they didn't give the team opportunities to win. So let's just take a look at this five-game losing streak, and then I'll tell you what I think the problem is. So we have to go all the way back to February 26th. The losing streak started on the road against Pittsburgh, lost 7-3. And then on the 28th, they lost to the Florida Panthers by a score of 4-1. to 
On the second, they lost to the Penguins again in overtime, 5-4. The game that we just spoke about, the Sabres, when they lost 5-3, and then they lost yesterday to the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 6 to nothing. So, what is the problem? What has caused Tampa Bay to go from having an opportunity to go back to the Stanley Cup final again to now being a team that may be knocked out of the playoffs before they actually get here. I think a lot of this has to start with goaltending. I think when you look at Andre Vasilevsky, he's not the same goaltender that he was a season ago. He has gone from being a Vesna Trophy candidate every single year to being a goaltender that you kind of have to say to yourself, what kind of game are we going to get from Vasilevsky tonight? And that's a problem. And then when you look at your forwards and your defensemen, I think for someone like myself, that's the reason why I did not have a problem with John Cooper pulling Stamkos, Hetman, and Kucherov. Because if your stars are not into it, then why should I leave them in the game to continue to cause us pain, right? That's what you do in the NBA. That's what you do in the NFL. If your starters are or not giving you an opportunity to win the game, I'm not going to keep them in the game and continue to humiliate them, if you want to call it that. So let's just take them out of the game. Let's put our backups in, and let's just skate this out until the game is concluded. That's pretty much what a lot of us would do if we were in John Cooper's shoes. Now, that also may have backfired on him, because I think that that kind of killed a little bit of the team morale and stamina that they had. But if anything, for those three guys, it should be a wake-up call for them to at least kind of step up and be better than they have been because also in the game last night against the Carolina Hurricanes, Braden Point, I think he was on a seven-game point streak. That was snapped last night. So when you compare goaltending and ineffective shooting and ineffective goal scoring, all of those things wrapped into one Christmas box with a bow on the top, you're going to get the five-game losing streak that the Tampa Bay Lightning are currently on. And John Cooper and that coaching staff, they're going to have to figure this out because they return back to action, I think, tomorrow night against the Philadelphia Flyers. So that's a little bit of what's going on right now down in Tampa Bay with the defending Eastern Conference champions, Tampa Bay Lightning. Okay, one more thing. Before we get into the final verdict on today. So we talked about this last Wednesday. We talked about the NCAA tournament being right around the corner. And there is one team that the majority of the college basketball world has their eye on. No, it's not Houston, although they barely escaped Memphis yesterday. Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers gave them a pretty good run for their money yesterday in that game took for a last second shot to save them in the fourth quarter to walk out of that building with the victory. I'm talking about North Carolina, North Carolina. Let's think about where they were in the preseason coming into the season. North Carolina was preseason. Number one, everybody thought myself included that they had a roster that was capable of getting them back to the national championship. Remember, they got their last season to the national title, but they lost to Kansas. And everybody thought that Hubert Davis in his second season as head coach would be able to get over the hump and get North Carolina back to the title game. North Carolina has gone from being preseason number one 
So now they need a strong showing in the ACC tournament just to even get a spot in the NCAA tournament. And this hasn't happened since the tournament expanded to 68 teams. 68, 64, 62. In 1985. So here's the thing. What has happened to North Carolina? In short answer, their inability to win close games. That's number one. Number two, ineffective shooting. And number three, not beating who you need to beat. They've lost two games this season to Duke. And there have been some other head-scratching games in there as well that you kind of look up and you say to yourself, how did North Carolina lose to such and such? They're going to need a pretty strong showing in the ACC tournament if they want to get into the actual tournament. And even then, if they were to pull off a strong performance in the ACC tournament, when they get to the NCAA tournament, who's to say that they don't get bounced early? Because what was one thing that we talked about last week was one of the things that I enjoy about March Madness. There's always that one Cinderella team that comes into the tournament just to disrupt the flow of the tournament itself. Remember, Loyola Chicago did this a few years ago. I, I have this very strong premonition that there's going to be some team that's going to come into this tournament that a lot of us did not know who they were a week or two ago, and they're going to come and disrupt the flow by taking out a favorite early. And you're going to say to yourself, where did this team come from? I don't remember hearing about them during the season. And some teams, that's their job. You know that they're not going to win the national championship, but you know it's their job to come in and disrupt the flow of the tournament. And with all of that talent, Armando Baycott, R.J. Davis, all of that talent that North Carolina has, and they've gone from being preseason number one to now needing help just to get into the tournament. But it goes to show you how quickly things can change from preseason to the end of the regular season. So all I can say is that Hubert Davis and those Tar Heels need to make the necessary adjustments right now if they want to be able to go back to the national title game like they were a season ago. All right, time for the final verdict on today. And today's final verdict is going to be a little bit different because it's not about a story that a lot of you would perceive to be a big story, but it's a story that I want to use to address something that's that has far-reaching implications. Yadonis Haslam has announced that at the end of this season, he's stepping away from the game. And this is a quote that he gave to the Miami Herald. And I quote, I'm done. I'm done no matter what happens. I gave my contribution. I think at this stage, there needs to be another voice for these guys. It's time for someone to step up and be the voice. Now, when you think about Udonis Haslam, some of you only think about him as a guy that sat on the bench for the better part of 19 seasons and or 20 seasons rather and was basically a cheerleader when I read the comments under the article following reading it that's what a lot of people were saying about Yandonis Haslam he was a cheerleader 
He got three free rings. All of the usual things that you would hear about someone who's had the career like a Udonis Haslam. Came into the NBA as an undrafted free agent in 2003 from the University of Florida and has been in South Beach his entire career. Udonis Haslam embodies what it means to be someone who contributes to a team in a different way. I want you to think about the two types of people that contributes to a team. On the one hand, you have the guys that contributes to the team by going out there on the floor, the field, the diamond, the court. They contribute to the team in that way by scoring, playing defense, all of those things. And then you have the guys on the team that comes and supports and contributes to the team by doing things like just being a voice of reason, by being a voice that the young guys can naturally gravitate to to help them in their quest to become a perennial great. Udonis Haslam has never tried to say that he's an all-time great on the floor, but Udonis Haslam has contributed to the Miami Heat by being a voice of reason in that locker room for those guys that are his teammates. And he's right. When he steps away, there's going to have to be someone else that's going to have to step up and fill those shoes that he's leaving behind. For some of us, we only look at him as a guy that took up space. But for others, we look at him as a guy whose contributions on that bench played a bigger role in Miami being successful than the guys that went out there on the floor and actually contributed and did all of the things, scoring, defense, etc., Now, I will tell you this, when he finally does decide to step away at the end of this season, he will be missed, if not by the fans, but by those guys that sat on that bench with him time and time again. And although you will never hear his name being mentioned as one of the greatest scorers ever, being one of the best defenders ever, when it's all said and done, when he finally decides that it's time to go, he will always be looked upon favorably by the Miami Heat organization and by some very loyal, diehard Miami Heat fans as a guy that didn't have to go out on the floor night in and night out and contribute 25, 30 points. But his contribution was to be able to be a voice that those guys could gravitate to, to be a support system for those guys, to be a guy that lifted their heads up after having a rough night, or being able to be there in a congratulatory way if a guy has a big night. Everyone that's on a team doesn't contribute by going out there on the floor, on the field. There are some guys who make their hay in the NBA, in the NFL, in Major League Baseball, in hockey, by just being a support system that you can count on on the bench every single night. So hopefully Udonis Haslam has a great second half of whatever he's going to do in his life and career once he steps away from the NBA. And once again, everybody's not a contributor on the court, on the field. Sometimes the guys that you never hear of that sits on the bench contributes in ways that you never thought imaginable. And that's going to conclude today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, we will be right back here again on Wednesday with another brand new episode. Until then, have a great rest of your Monday. Take care and God bless.